0: Welcome to the Get Healthier podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rat Talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. This is
1: Rena, and we are chatting about today. So stress affects over 40 million Americans, creates a huge impact for companies that have to pay for lost hours, impacts family life, there's teens that are committing suicides, those numbers have been staggeringly increasing. And so I thought we should find an expert that can help us understand what's creating all the stress in our society and what can we do to help mitigate the stress without the use of drugs. Why? Because most of the medicines that are being given today for stress and anxiety often have huge negative repercussions long-term. And in fact, some of those medicines cause depression and suicide. So we have today an amazing guest, Mary Thompson, who's been a teacher and practitioner of Ayurveda. She completed her training in the US at the California College of Ayurveda, as well as the International Academy of Ayurveda in Pune. In fact, she's so amazing, she now teaches practitioners. She has developed multimedia programs on maintaining mental health and supporting women's health with Ayurveda. Mary, welcome.
0: Thank you very much, Rina. It's good to be here.
1: So let's talk about what is stress, according to you and according to Ayurveda?
0: Well, stress is a, you know, it's a state of mind, really. It's a mental and emotional reaction to the circumstances of your life. And they can be external circumstances or maybe what you create inside your own mind. So anytime that you're living kind of in the past or in the future, you could be in a state of stress if what's happening is not what you want to have happening.
1: And what do you believe creates this state of stress?
0: Well, when I look at stress in an individual, I typically see, as I mentioned just a moment ago, someone who's Either not resolved with what's happened in the past, and so they're still worried about, ashamed of, embarrassed by, angry about something from the past, and they bring that emotion into this present moment. And so then they have struggles dealing with the present moment because they're still not done dealing with the past. Another cause of stress, though, is when we're too much imagining the future. We don't like what's happening in the present moment. Sometimes I imagine that if there's a huge gap between what I want and what I have, I fill that gap with stress. I fill it with discomfort, Mm -hmm. disease, distress.
1: Interesting. So to you, stress really, or by your definition, stress is really not being in the present moment because you're either worried about something from the past or you're worried about something in the future. How about reacting to a current situation? So how about, for example the situation where a boss is very upset because something wasn't done is is that also stress where it's still in the present moment so it's not past or future but but it's still creating a state of discontent or would you say that that doesn't necessarily get classified in the classical definition of stress
0: well I think our lives can be very stressful I think that we can have things happen in the present moment which generate stress for us And the example you give is great you know, the boss comes in, he's demanding, or she is demanding, <laughs> yes. they want something. You've got five projects you're working on and they've dropped something new on your desk. You know you've got something to do after work and so you don't want to be working late. That There are so many factors that generate your stress. If all you had to deal with was the boss's bossiness, then that's not going to be a stress. You're going to be able to sit with your everything else being calm and say, oh, look, my boss is upset and not take it on as a problem for yourself. But when, I've, when I have too many things going on, where there's too many balls up in the air, then any one additional thing is going to cause me to go into stress because now I can't deal with the five projects. I have to deal with now six projects and maybe my limit was five. Mm-hmm. So it always comes down to, you know, what do I bring into the present moment? As I tell a story a lot of times about being driving in a car and someone yelling at me while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. And it's happened where I've laughed, where it was it was just a non-issue and it's happened where I got angry or I got fearful and I had to realize that it's always me. It's I'm always there in that situation. So why did I interpret something that happened from the outside differently? And that has to deal with my self-care and my own level of stress that I brought into the present moment.
1: So true. So true. I think we can all share with that example where in some situations we handled a particular incident well, and in others we seriously overreacted, and clearly the difference is, is us. The difference is internal, and it's how we are reacting to something that's happened. What are the, so, What are the manifestations of stress? I mean, how does someone even know to what extent they are stressed. Because I think stress comes in, again, different levels, and I think some level of stress is acceptable and even expected as a human being living in this very complex, chaotic world. And other levels of stress really are dangerous for us. So what are the manifestations of stress? For example, sleep sleeplessness is one I know, insomnia is one. In your opinion, that really need to be managed, that that are concerning?
0: Well, it's interesting. I see that stress has short-term effects and then if i don't manage my stress i end up with the big ticket items the long-term effects of stress so the short-term effect i can notice something and i teach my clients this and talk to practitioners about this as well is observing my breath or observing my pulse is if i'm under stress i tend to breathe very shallowly and so i'm not getting full deep breaths and it's it's the kind of this driving factor behind stress because if i breathe deeply into my abdomen if I fill up my lungs, then I'm going to have more relaxation. I'm going to trigger parasympathetic response and be in a calmer state. But then when I'm under stress, I breathe very shallowly and I trigger. It sends a signal to my brain that I'm afraid of something, that there's something to be anxious about in this moment. And so then I begin to look around to think, what could I be anxious about in this moment? And I find something outside and I say, I'll be anxious <laughs> about that. You know, so it's, so I can watch my breath and just checking in and saying, if I've been yawning, that's a sign that I haven't been breathing very deeply. And if I'm sighing, that's a sign that I'm not exhaling very deeply. So I can think back over the last hour and think, have I been yawning more than usual or have I been sighing? You know, when you're standing there, washing dishes going, ah. (laughs) And it's, it's just a sign that you're finally exhaling, that you've been holding your breath a bit
1: that I hate doing dishes, but
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son sighs a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: so do I. I'm not a big fan of doing yeah. dishes. I love to cook, though, but I, I, yeah, I sigh a lot when I
0: do it. dishes. You know, so um, then I can watch my pulse as well would be another indicator. Okay. Is my heart rate increased? Do I feel palpitations? These would be clear indicators of stress. My digestion would let me know if I'm under stress. My sleep will let me know if I'm
1: under stress. How will your digestion let you know?
0: Well, if I've you know, taking the effort of making good food and sitting down to eat it calmly, and I'm still getting digestive disturbance, then my digestion may be disturbed by what's called a sympathetic nervous system response, which is when I'm under stress, or when I go into fight or flight mode, I stop digesting my food, and I work on getting away from the stress. So it's one of those recommendations where I'll tell people, you know, don't have fights at the table, or don't you know, having someone you sit down to eat a beautiful meal and someone says, we have to talk. <laughs> it's like it's, you're immediately you go into fight or flight mode and you're not going to digest your food. And what we are as a human animal, we have this history of, you know, having to run away from predators, but we don't have the predators anymore. We imagine them. And that could be the boss who's going to come in with one more job or the one extra thing that I don't have time to do. I I had this event happened the other day where I was going out to an event and I was stepping out the door when I looked down and one of the buttons was missing from the shirt I was wearing. And now we have the opportunity to go into total freak out mode that, oh my gosh, this was the outfit I chose, what am I gonna do? Or to say, it's gonna take me two minutes to sew a new button on and it's gonna be okay. Um, When we come in calm, then we're able to deal with these changes that we may not want in a calm fashion. And when we're not calm, um, then they become traumas.
1: So what I'm hearing from you is two things. One, that how we breathe, in fact, can create stress. So it may not even be an external stress. It just may be that somehow we are not breathing correctly, which is now creating an internal Uh, moment of anxiety, which to your point, then we're now out there looking for anxiety or looking for reasons to be stressed about. And by the way, I personally learned how to breathe properly for the first time a year and a half ago. Um, When I was taking my meditation class, I had no idea I had been breathing incorrectly for pretty much most of my life. So I'd love to actually put up a video. And for all of those listening, we will put in a video on the correct breathing technique. Mm -hmm. And it honestly, I can't believe my body doesn't know how to breathe properly on its own but apparently it doesn't and it had to be made into a habit and now I do catch myself sometimes when I'm not breathing correctly I actually catch myself going ah I'm back to my sh- very shallow breathing again and I'll consciously take a few moments to sit down and correct myself so so that's one where something as simple as learning to breathe correctly can eliminate um, real or imagined stresses and then the second is that it's it's really how we are reacting to a specific situation and going in mentally saying I'm going to react to this in the right way is really step one is, is that correct is that think, a correct paraphrasing
0: yes I think that's a really good way to look at it because in, in any case the event happened it, you know if I take my example in any case there's no button on the shirt how I right. react to it is totally within my control. And I can, right. if it's going to take me a few extra minutes, I can text the people or call them and say I'm going to be a couple minutes late. Uh, but I can still be calm in doing that. I don't have to go into fight or flight mode. That's totally within my within, within my field of choice. Right, right.
1: So, so digestion thing, is one human.
0: Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say to your original question, but how could I even tell if I'm under stress? One thing I ask people to look at is what's the first thought you have in the morning? What is your first feeling about the day that you have ahead? If you wake up and you're thinking, you know, maybe your day is full, you've got a lot of things to do, and you're problem solving, but it doesn't seem to generate anxiety or fear or anger, you know, then you're probably living in a fairly stress-free way that you're managing your life in a really good way. If you wake up and your first thought is one of dread or of anxiety, or you pull the covers up over your head then perhaps there are things in your day that are generating more stresses for you. There's too many times during your day when you're not living in the way you want to be living in the present moment. That's you know, a have-
1: beautiful insight. That The very first thing in the morning is a really good tentail indicator. That's, that's very insightful, Mary. And I don't want to get right into cures and remedies right now, yeah. but I have to ask. So... One of the things I was told when I got very sick was you have to meditate first thing in the morning. Like, don't even brush your teeth. Just You roll out of bed. You roll into your meditation room or meditation space, and you meditate. And then you start your day. Is that something you do believe and recommend, or is that an overkill for most people?
0: I really feel like meditation, best time of day and best form and everything, it's so individualized. For okay. some people, they could roll out of bed, sit on a meditation mat, and then they meditate on their stresses. You know, although they try, they might be observing the mind and breathing really calmly, they still have these nagging thoughts. This is the the person I typically picture, they're they're peeking at their watch with one eye open and the other <laughs> eye is, while the other side of their body is calmly meditating. And or they're so, making
1: lists, right? Yeah. There, there's this whole list being made. That was my biggest right. issue initially.
0: Right, right. And so for some people, they might need to start with a walking meditation in the morning. And this is the, what I do. I kind of roll out of bed, put my shoes on and the dog's waiting. <laughs> we we head out and we walk about a mile, a mile and a half and just give me a chance to ground out and do things and breathe and be out in nature and have kind of the experience of the day without worrying about what else is coming up during the day. That's I had a beautiful. student one time. Thank you. I had a student one time that said she didn't really have time for both cooking her own breakfast, which Ayurveda puts a big big emphasis on making your own food. And she didn't have time for both cooking her own breakfast and doing meditation. So she said she would meditate with her oatmeal. And so when she was cooking Cheers. her her hot cereal, she would stir and she would chant. And she would just be totally in the present moment and experiencing it really mindfully. So I think, you know, starting with where people are is very important with meditation. And that could be first thing. But maybe you're a person that has to wake up a little bit before you can sit or you'll fall back asleep. <laughs> <So> <laughs> very true. Finding finding the right uh, technique for you is real important. But I I do agree that it's important to do in the morning so you can come into your day calm and grounded. uh, One of the things, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner and teacher, and so we always talk about the doshas.
1: Yes, that was my next question. Because honestly, uh, isn't it true that some people, based on their doshas, are just more prone to stress and anxiety versus others who are actually more prone to sadness? And versus others who are prone to anger so ta- help us help us understand the relationship between doshas and stress and for actually first for those of our listeners who may not even know what the heck a dosha is and yeah. it's not a food item um, if you could just introduce <laughs> what is a dosha um, very briefly and then how its connection to stress so those who are listening can better understand how they fit into the dosha and the stress equation
0: Okay, I'll try to make it simple The um, Ayurveda looks at, let's take it into people, that there are three basic energetic types of people. We have, they're called vata and pitta and kapha. The vata nature person is one who's light and airy and active. They can't be here, they got to go over there, they move fast, they talk fast, they think fast. So we see some people have more movement that they do in their words, the movement of their minds, the movement of their bodies everything about them is a little bit faster and speeded up, and they're always moving. And so some people have that ability. These people jump from the past to the future to the present, and they never seem to land in one of them for too long before they're off into the other. So Ayurveda looks at these, the way they manifest physically and in their mind and the way the body works. But because we're talking about stress, I'm going to focus primarily on the way the mind works. So this doshik type has a really quick mind and they can assess things really, really quickly, but they tend to forget really quickly as well, and they get distracted. The second type is the pitta, and the pitta type is more focused and directed. They're kind of fiery people. They get things done. They're the boss that came in with the work for you to do at the last minute, at the end of the day, because their focus is often on the goal, the job, completion, success. And so this person's really driven. Um, They're less likely to dwell in the past, unless it's something that they're still kind of irritated about, and they want to find some way to fix it. And in the future, there's a lot of goals and planning. Um, there's not a lot of fantasy about it. It's really much more, what do I need to do in the present to achieve this goal that I have for the future? Mm-hmm. They tend to go more into anger issues and frustration. They might experience stress as well, and they experience it really strongly in their body, but it's they're the one driving it. Um, the first type, that vata type, they're driving it as well, but by not being in the present moment, but they often feel a victim of all the stuff going on around them. You know, they, they have to do all these things and they they have to move so fast and they have to be busy all the time. They don't realize they're in control, whereas the hypothesis sees that they're in control and they're they want to achieve a goal of some sort. The third type is the Kappa type, and this one's more earthy and grounded and solid and stable. Everybody wants this Kappa for their best friend because they're always going to show up for you. They're always going to be there for you. It's, uh, they're very predictable and methodical. Now the challenge here is they can go into, as you mentioned before, sadness. They don't tend to dwell, well, they do dwell a bit in the past and they're, they don't have big tickets. they don't have big stress reactions. But they dwell in the past because in the Kappa mind, everything in the past was a little bit better than everything now. But things change too quickly and people come and go too quickly. And the Kappa feels sadness and grief about the way things have changed and the way, you know, if things aren't the way that they want them to be, they're more likely to go into sadness around it than they are to go into anxiety around it. So of the three doshik types, vata is more likely to go into anxiety and to have it driven by them doing too much. They have a hard time saying no and they put too many things on their plate and then they feel victimized by all of it and they try to escape somehow, you know, and that can be their stress drives them to, to want to get away. And the pitta nature person, their stress is driven by their desire to succeed and their desire to achieve. And so they can also experience stresses, but they don't tend to go into anxiety or go into depression they're more likely to go into manic- mania and control, micromanaging, fixing. Mm. And the kapha nature is more likely to go into sadness and withdrawal, pull away from the stress completely and kind of disappear into themselves. I, I also think that all three types can get depressed. The vatas, okay. get, the vatas get depressed because they do too much and then they exhaust themselves and that leads them to a, an anxiety-driven depression. The pittas get depressed when they lose control, when somebody takes the control away from them and they have to do what somebody else wants them to do. Mm. And uh, the kapha type tends to get depressed when things change and they've lost they've lost someone or something and they feel like that, that it was so much better than anything that could possibly come up in the future that they end up being very depressed about that.
1: And that's really good to know. Um, you know, I think... We'll we'll go ahead and post a link to the doshas as I think everyone should take their dosha mm-hmm. quiz. Mine came out I was tridoshaic. I mm-hmm. didn't even know that was possible, but apparently I'm tridoshaic, and so um, fun. I get to suffer all
0: three <laughs> from
1: all three vagaries of, of uh, anger, sadness, and depression. Fun. But uh, let's let's talk about stress in our culture. You know, now that I've been meditating and I'm laughing at all the silly things that I would have seriously overreacted to, I personally have a better appreciation for the fact that to a large extent, stress seems to be popularized in our culture. And it's cool to say I'm stressed, right? I'm hearing my 12-year-old going, oh, oh, I'm so stressed. And I was laughing because it's just a word she's picked up from watching TV. It's not something she's really understood what it means to what extent do you feel that our culture has popularized this this word stress and that we need to become more mindful of not using it in our daily life and to what extent by not using it by saying I'm calm I'm happy my life is great we can in fact really create the opposite effect and calm the body down even if we're in the middle of a very stressful situation
0: yeah, I think one thing that the, has really happened is more so than even popularizing it is they've normalized it. That we're all supposed to be stressed. That it's, it's you special. know, if I'm not if I'm not stressed in this situation there's something wrong with me and we see a model stress modeled in out in the world, in television and in the media in all different ways. We see people living out of alignment with the present moment. And when we're when we're here in this moment and we're we're kind of calm, that's looked at as an abnormal thing. <laughs> You know, there's people that very think, well, you know, you must it's not cool be aware be of it.
1: Yeah, right. it's, it's cool to be stressed and overscheduled and busy.
0: Right, because that's the focus of our culture is to stay, as you said, over, overworked and, over, and busy. We're supposed to always be doing something and, and having some new experience or achieving something and having some new success. And we have to ask ourselves if that's really what we're all about. Is that really what our life is, is to keep really busy? we would say that the people of vata nature tend to keep really, really busy. And I like to imagine that that they were born and they looked around the room and said, oh my gosh, there's so many things to see and do and experience. I got to get busy and, and I'm, never gonna <laughs> yes. I'm never going to stop. i never going to stop. I have to see it all. I have to do it all. And what happens though, is if we never take time to replenish ourselves, then that activity leaves us stressed. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we're Even if we're actively doing things we enjoy, an image that comes to mind right now is like a child at an amusement park. Even if we're doing something that we enjoy, we're still going to have a meltdown. So Mm -hmm. at seven in the evening and the kids sobbing and crying, or you see pictures of kids at birthday parties. It just is too much. There's too much stimulation and no downtime. That leads to a physical reaction to stress and an emotional breakdown to it, you know, and we've experienced it, but Vata so craves that activity that they'll almost risk it, you know, and so, What we talk about with Ayurveda is, I I refer it as putting money in the bank. You know, I have an energy bank. And every time I'm doing activities, I'm taking out money from my energy bank to do my activities. And I need then to put money back in the bank. And when I do my meditation, when I do my daily massage, my oil massage, when I take herbs that are going to be really nourishing to the body, and I eat foods that are nourishing to the body, I'm putting money into the energy bank, so I'll have it to spend later. And usually, the typical problem for Vata Nature is it's all credit. <laughs> you know, I'm just out there spending, mm-hmm. spending, spending. And, mm-hmm. you know, someday payday is going to come. And when it does come, that's when I get those long term effects of stress, where I get physical and mental, emotional, uh, chronic. And what condition- are those?
1: Yeah. Talk a little bit about what are those long term effects that we see when we're starting to kind of, I guess, turn in our middle age, right? So 40 on up. But, it's really a manifestation of what's been building in the last decade or two.
0: Oh, certainly. So if we have, in the short term, I get a little bit of digestive disturbance, a little bit of gas, a little bit of sluggish digestion, you know, it's just not working the way it should work. The long-term effects, that could become a diagnosable condition, gastroesophageal reflux or ulcerations, that these could be that I haven't paid attention. My, there was something you had on your website where it talked about listening to the whispers of the body Yes. and i I love that line because it's like when I get a little Thank bit of gas, that's a whisper and then when it becomes you know IBS Crohn's, it's no yeah it's no yeah it's no longer whispering it's it's knocking at the door saying pay attention mm-hmm. you know and so that's a long-term effective stress is these deeper digestive imbalances. If I have a little bit of restless sleep, maybe it's a little bit difficult for me to fall asleep or you know I'm, I wake up at two in the morning, you know or I have frightening dreams It might be my little whispers and then I get into chronic insomnia where I'm not sleeping and I'm having you know I'm having to be on sleep beds in order to to actually pacify and go to sleep at night that's like a that's the screaming of the body it's no longer whispering it's it's knocking at the door and then of course there are the big ticket problems which are lifestyle diseases like hypertension and obesity Um, these are ones that when we are stressed I'm gonna go to obesity first although I did it second so when we're stressed we release all these hormones that tell you to hold on to your weight you know and so it's like i've got this the more stress i'm under the more weight i'm going to hold in my body because it's a hormonal impetus and then with heart disease I, the more stressed i am the more i drive my blood pressure up the more my body tries to support me and makes my vessels my blood vessels hard and causes me to have hypertension or causes inflammation So the short ticket the short term effect of stress is the body whispers saying something's not quite right here. And the long-term effects are when I can go in and get diagnosed. And I think it's interesting because in our, in our culture, you go in and immediately they're going to say, oh, your blood pressure is high. We need those blood pressure medications. And I'm not right. completely against any medications, but I'm saying is we look at that and what we want to do is turn it around and say, oh, your blood pressure is high. Let's see what's happening with your diet, your lifestyle, and how you're managing your stresses." to see what's pushing your blood pressure high. I'm not against giving blood pressure meds because, of course, they save lives. But I do want it to go alongside diet and lifestyle recommendations to remove the cause of the stress rather than throwing your hands up and saying there's absolutely nothing you can do.
1: Interesting. Now, that, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, taking meds without making any other change, even conventional medicine these days, doesn't advise that you know right. they say we're going to give you meds but hey here is the long laundry list of changes we'd like you to make in your in your life that includes your diet let's talk about stress in specific types of people and remedies and any case studies you might be able to share let's start with actually stress in teens mm-hmm. and i i specifically bring that up because i have a high school well i have someone who just my daughter who just graduated from high school she goes to college this year yay And I've seen the stress she's gone through. More importantly, I've seen the stress her friends have gone through. Um, There's been some uh, pretty deep-seated issues um, in the extended group of friends that she has, requiring medications, requiring hospitalizations. And so my first question to you is, what do you recommend for teens who are stressed about grades and getting into college and peer pressure? How do you recommend that they address, and how do you recommend parents of teens that are going to be yeah. listening to this podcast? What can they do to help their teen?
0: You know, teenage years are so it's, it's, they're so ready for some kind of trauma, because <laughs> if we think of stress as what occurs when what we have is not what we want, and what time in our life is that more concrete than when we're an adolescent? Is True. our body our body's changing, and we don't understand it? And it's not behaving or looking the way we want it to look. And unfortunately, we get all kinds of pressure for looking a certain way. And our body just may not be that size, that shape, that dimension, you know, that it's going to have a different look to it. So there's that physical pressure where my body isn't, it doesn't feel like me right now. I'm going to grow into it, but I've got these hormonal shifts. And so it doesn't feel the same as it did when I was younger, when it was just my normal body. It's changing and growing. And I don't understand that. So there's a bit of it that is a disconnect between themselves physically. And then mentally, something happens in the mind in an adolescent, which is the frontal lobe is going to go through a lot of changes. So now my brain is no longer the way it used to be. You know, I used to find things fun and I used to find joy in my life. And that's gone now because my brain's actually being rewired to an extent. And so then I've got that problem. And then my emotions are being driven by my hormones And then I have all these different pressures. So often people over 40 are going, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. And it really wasn't. You know, It's like we didn't have, we we did have television, but we didn't have this onset of of social media and getting this immediate feedback um, and oftentimes very negative feedback about who we are and how we are in the world. And schools are different. There are different pressures that are put on students. Many people attend really large high schools that... They lose a bit of their identity in this large crowd and so they try to find that and it depends on the family structure you mentioned the parents there's a lot parents can do but a lot of times they feel like they don't know what to do because now they're exactly. faced with the same thing this isn't the same kid that i had two years ago and what we want to do i think the first thing we need to do as a parent is to kind of break that cycle of thinking this isn't the same kid that i had a couple of years ago and even though I used to teach uh, junior high and it was a a really hard time period for kids because they don't know what's going on (laughs) and they're lashing out at everybody around them. And I was talking to a parent and I said, they lash out at you as the parent because you're safe. Their peer group's not safe for them to lash out at. They can't, Mm. they can't challenge their peer group and, and be, you know, say cut it out because they could get rejected and rejection at that age is, is the hardest thing in the world to deal with. So they have to they have to match. They have to kind of get deeper into this connection with their peer group. But who can they lash out at? Well, their family, because they know their family is going to be there no matter what. So when they take that frustration from school, and it gets sidelined and gets brought out at home, and then the parents react rather than being able to say, "Wow, you look like you're under a lot of stress. Why don't you go and why don't you go down to the river and go swimming?" <laughs> but the parent has their own stuff, and they bring up their anger to meet the child's anger and we've got a then they're no longer feeling safe at home they don't feel safe in their groups Um, they don't feel safe at school that's got too much pressure for them and so there's so many different pressures that exist that we can have um that they can reach for things to escape if they're vata they tend to look for escapes and that can be through drugs and alcohol if they're pitta they tend to push themselves really super duper hard and um if they're, if they're able to do that, they'll achieve great things, but they may burn themselves out at the end of that and end up with anger issues and emotional issues. Eating disorders can come in there as well. And with the kapha nature, copa kids, they don't deal too much with stress. It's, it's a lot easier for them because they're still so attached to the past. They still kind of feel that connection to themselves as child and their parents. And so they tend to express less stress. It's your vatas and your pitta kids that really struggle going through adolescence with, um, with the stresses. So what can we as, a, as parents do? Well, looking at their foods, that's the first thing. Making sure mm. that they're getting whole, fresh, organic foods so that at least they've got that. <laughs> at least before they walk out the door, they've had a kind of a foundation. Looking at the morning routine and the evening routine and seeing how can you, I call it bookending the stresses. So the day is stressful, but what can happen in the morning that would create calm and grounding? I also have a, a child who's 14. He's going to be going to high school this year. And he and I now, he walks with me in the mornings now, and we'll talk about whatever he wants to talk about. And it's, you know, kind of a good morning routine, and it gives us a chance to check in. Not a chance for me to judge his friends or anything he's talking about, but it gives me a really great window into what's going on with him. And then you look at the evening routine. What do you do at night? Do you connect as a family before um, saying goodnight? Are you able to sit down together at dinner? Or if not, some other time in the evening where you can just hear about how the day was without, this is so hard for Pitta parents, without judging, correcting, advising. You know, when they say, I had a problem at school today, you know what you should do? And they're still, they're at that point where they have to figure it out for themselves. And as a parent, it's almost like the best words you can say to them is, is there any support you need? You know, and okay. let them and Let's see if they do. Because oftentimes if, if you've made yourself available to them and they know that it's it's not going to be um, judgmental support, then they'll reach out because they'll feel safe in doing that. So it's like finding some ways to create safety in the morning and safety in the afternoon in the evening. And so I like to look at what are we eating, you know, it's the first thing. And having Mm -hmm. some downtime. If they're a really focused kid, you've got a little pitta kid. Shouldn't say little, these are adolescents. (laughs) But they're really focused and they're driven and they're doing it. Try and find something they can do that's fun. Say, let's go, you know, play basketball. Let's go out, walk by the river. Let's jump in the water. Do something that's going to be fun that's not goal-oriented. Because um, I also see so often kids are involved in really high competitive sports as well as excelling at school and they're competing and they want to they want to be the tops. They're trying to get scholarships. They're trying to get into the college they want to get into. And then you can back up and say, when do we just have fun? Because Mm -hmm. the sports are no longer fun. That's work. That's success. Mm -hmm. That's achievement. That's drive. And so for your pinta child, you really want to make sure that you've got some time when they can de-stress, when they can just let loose and and have fun and kind of touch back to what that, what was fun when they were younger, because that's Mm -hmm. a huge stress reducer. Got it. So from, what about herbs? Oh, okay, let me go. I would say one thing. I want to wrap up with one thing. So for my Vata kids, routine is really important. That's going to give them the foundation that they can have. have they can certainly trust that there's going to be what I call islands of serenity in their day. And they can land there and say, okay, I can breathe here. So I bookend the stress and create that routine. For the Pitta kids, it's incorporate fun. Look at, because that's what gives them de-stressing. And for your Kapha kids, if you've got a Kapha kid, one who seems to be a little bit um, more attached to the past and the way things were. They're, they're lovely to have at home, but they need to exercise. (laughs) They need to get moving. (laughs) And um, because when they move, they actually feel better. They don't stagnate as much. And then um, you asked about herbs and this is a hard thing to say just in a podcast, because I don't want to, I want everybody to take something that's that's uh, maybe not indicated for them. But when we think of people of Vata nature, they need herbs that are going to help them build the strength of their nervous system. Let me go Before I go to herbs, I'll say foods, omega-3 fatty acids that you're looking at through nuts and seeds. Um, mm-hmm. These are fantastic because the challenge with vata is usually they don't have enough fluids that hold on to in the body. And the nervous system really re- responds very well to omega-3 fatty acids. So making sure they're getting some nuts and seeds in their day um, is really important. Apart from that, there's herbs that are called like nervine sedatives, although they don't put you to sleep. And one we had talked about before was a herb called ashwagandha, which is, if you are interested in it, I suggest you read up on it and talk to an Ayurvedic practitioner to see if it's right for you. But usually for vata, in small doses, it can be really pacifying. With pitta, now these guys are overheated. So you wanna cool down that mind. And so they could look towards, again, starting with foods, Incorporating more greens in their day. And that could be greens that they take with lunch and with dinner. Uh, they like the bitter taste because it reduces the heat in the body. They may not like it because of the way it tastes. <laughs> and so looking for good ways to cook those uh, can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then they do for really example, well. with Oh, what food like mm-hmm. kale. Kale's a great oh, one. Kale. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I Dandelion. It's funny to think you could eat the dandelion greens that are growing in your yard. But dandelion's another good another good green that's out there and all kinds of greens that you might put in salads. They don't have to be the bitter greens that you would have just on the side, but incorporating a salad in the day can be really great for people of Pitta nature. If I was looking at herbs for Pitta, it's herbs that cool the body down. And if my favorite thing right now is like dandelion tea, and it's not to be made with the leaves, but made with the root. And it's a, just a lovely tea blend that keeps me cool uh, so that's something I would recommend for them, looking at things that are going to cool the whole liver down, the body down. Because the good thing about pitta is if the body stays cool, the mind stays cool. Mm. And so, sense. With, yeah, for vata, both the mind and the body have to get to a point of stillness. With pitta, if the body's cool, the mind is cool, and they're not going to go as much into stress. And then with kapha nature, for them, the best thing is exercise. So if I started with foods it's avoiding taking in too many foods because of the fact that um, it's all supply and demand and so if I've got the supply is the food and the demand is the exercise. So if I've got heavy foods coming in I really have to do a lot of a lot of exercise to burn that off. But what I can look at with with cup of nature is making sure they stay active enough. It's going to be the most important thing as far as foods go it's just keep it light. Keep it just, um, and not to the point where they're getting deprived of anything, but for them, something that's going to make the vata feel very nourished and grounded is going to make the kapha feel very sleepy (laughs) and (laughs) sluggish. So that's kind of a key thing is if you feel sleepy after the meal, see if, was it too heavy? You know, was there too much in there that was real heavy? And then if I was looking at herbs for them, they like things that are really stimulating. Some really great herbs for kaphas like basil or holy basil, tulsi, um, and then the spices for kapha are great, cinnamon, ginger, black pepper. These are all fantastic because they get your heart rate up a little bit, they cause you to sweat a little bit, and they get you moving. Mm. So where vata needs things that ground them, kapha needs things that get them up and moving, and pitta just needs to be cooled down.
1: That makes a lot of sense. All right, let's talk about stress from work. So let's take your typical... Uh, middle-aged, male or female, mm-hmm. working in a high-powered job, a lot of deliverables, can't mm-hmm. get fired. Lot, you know, big mortgage, must work, right. and must balance all that with the two kids, and the right. groceries, and that toilet that broke last night. So, um, for someone mm-hmm. like that, where you're in the thick of things, like you're literally in the middle of the of of all the action in your life
0: what do you recommend? Well, it's a, it's a couple of steps. So hopefully I'll go through these in a clear way. So the first thing that I recommend to people is to get clear about where their stresses are in the day. And so that might be checking in every hour and on your stress level, you know, give it a one to 10, just so you can kind of get clarity about where at what times of the day do you feel the most stress. The second thing you have to do then is ask yourself a question, is which of those stresses are under your control and which of them are out of your control? So say for example, um, you become stressed every Wednesday because there's some meeting at work, that's out of your control. But what can you do before the meeting and after the meeting to minimize or to bookend the stresses that you have during the meeting? So the part of the day that's usually under our control is the morning and the evening. Usually that midday, we've got other oh I, other requirements. We have places we have to be and people we have to, needs we have to meet. So we have to look at that. And then we can look at, so what can I do in the morning so that I'm in the lowest stress possible before I go into work? For Ayurveda, that would be incorporating your morning routine, your cleansing practices, doing a shower, doing a daily oil massage, or doing a nasal wash, things like that. But it's also about taking some time to breathe, taking some time to meditate, taking some time to stretch, to make sure that, you know, you come to the morning, you come into your work as calm and grounded and whole as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to, can you create some times during the day where you can de-stress? So if your job is really stressful, is it possible to take a 10-minute walk around the block at some point in time during the day or to take that lunch away from your desk. I worked with a woman one time who was dealing with stress and she worked in a, in the office near a park and I knew that her office faced the park. And so I asked her, you know, could she go out to have her lunch in the park? And she said, no, it's not possible. There is absolutely no time. I couldn't do that. And I said, okay, so where do you eat? She said, I eat at my desk. Okay, could you turn your chair 180 degrees so you're looking out the window? <laughs> <laughs> and she did, it was so funny because she did something I love that pittas do which is she came back and said I only did it cuz I wanted to prove that it was a stupid idea and I wow. say okay so what happened and she said well I did it and I and she said and then I thought during the whole time I was thinking this is really dumb this isn't going to make any difference because all I've done is turn my chair 180 degrees but now she's looking out at a park and trees rather than looking at her computer and work mm-hmm. and she said But then at about three in the afternoon, I realized that I was less stressed. And she said, and the only thing I had done different all day was turn my chair. And so it could be something simple where you say, what can I do during time, especially when I'm feeding myself, because I don't want to go into fight or flight mode or stress mode, is what can I do to put money back in my energy bank? You know, I can pay attention to how I'm eating, what I'm eating, where I'm eating, um, if I have a business meeting, for example, and they say, Oh, we're going to meet over lunch. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.